0: Welcome to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Eric Barger is back today to continue his look at the occult in today's culture, and Greg Patton is living in today's world. We are exactly one week away from the Tri-Cities, Tennessee mega-conference next Friday and Saturday, March 25th and 26th. At this conference, you'll learn the real history of socialism from Bill Federer, what's next in Bible prophecy from Rob Linstead, an unlikely story of redemption from Kamal Salim, the latest finds of biblical archaeology, and much, much more. Get all the details by visiting the events page of our website, swrc.com. The Tri-Cities Tennessee Mega Conference, next Friday and Saturday, March 25th and 26th. Registration is free, but less than 100 seats are still available, so register today, swrc.com. James Collins and Eric Barger come now to continue their look at the occult, its influence in today's culture, and what you and I need to do to be ready to fight back.
1: Statistics tell us that a variety of New Age pagan and occult cultures and practices are on the rise. These include meditation, witchcraft, using sage, goddess worship, and so on, and so on. These occult practices are especially popular among millennials who want to be in opposition to conservative evangelical Christianity. Joining me today to talk about the end-time occult invasion is Eric Barger. After spending two decades immersed in the world as a record producer, rock musician, drug addict, and practicing New Ager, Eric was saved and called into the ministry. Today, he's a well-known Bible teacher and speaker. He's an expert on Bible prophecy and the occult and He's a wonderful guest and friend of our ministry, and today we're going to continue talking about his book, Entertaining Spirits Unaware. Eric, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall.
2: Thank you once again, brother.
1: Well, Eric, yesterday we were talking about the forbidden practices that are outlined in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13. And we left off yesterday with the Observer of Times, that's the third forbidden practice in Deuteronomy 18, Observer or Times or Astrology. And that's very popular today, isn't it?
2: It is, and it has been for quite some time, but it is just as popular now as it was, let's say in the 1960s or 70s, and it hasn't gone away. This isn't something that we don't have to think about anymore.
1: Will you write in entertaining spirits unaware, astrology doesn't just lead you to occultism, it is occultism. Would you unpack that statement?
2: It really encompasses divination, sorcery, all those things, because you begin to put your fate and your future in the stars, you're in trouble. And the Word of God speaks exactly that, about putting your fate and future in the stars. In fact, God mocks this idea. And so... The idea that we can, by looking at a chart and seeing where the stars and the sun and moon and so on are in the sky at a particular time, we can figure out what's going to happen ahead. Again, you're just opening a door that Satan can then use. These are doorways into the occult. These are ways that people have been drugged in themselves, sometimes by very innocent looking circumstances and by a little astrology thing in a newspaper or maybe a fortune that they've gotten at the Chinese restaurant. (laughs) People get into these things and they begin to put lots of trust in them. God wants you to trust Him for every moment of the future. He's got it all under control. God knows when you'll breathe your last breath. He knows exactly what you're going to do the rest of your life. He has a plan, and if you'll follow him, it'll go well with you. But if you're going to follow your astrology chart and then think you're a Christian at the same time, you will have another thing come. and you're basically perverting what God is trying to do in your life by following these kind of things.
1: The fourth and fifth forbidden practice is being an enchanter and witchcraft. Today, white magic is increasing in popularity. A woman once tried to convince me that she was a good witch who practiced white magic. But last time, you mentioned this, that there's no such thing as white magic. Isn't it all black magic, Eric? It all
2: comes from the same source, brother. People who buy into the idea that they can cast spells for good reasons and, you know, they can do good things with witchcraft. They may think that they're accomplishing something, and indeed something may happen that appears to be what they have tried to conjure up, but it is not going to work out well in the end. That's the point. It is not blessed by God. I've had people say, I'm a Christian witch. That's like saying Christian pornography or Christian cocaine, you know? Those words don't go together, but there are people who have convinced themselves that they can. Do these practices and it's become their identity that's a very powerful thing for humans when you make something your entire identity
1: most people today would not come out and say they're a witch but we often hear the term wicca thrown around eric what is wicca
2: usually it is more than one person who's involved with it a wiccan coven would be obviously, more than one person together who is involved in the same kind of practices. And these people kind of seek each other out and they find each other, just like Christians. We find each other usually at church is the way we find Christian friends and Christian fellowship, but they do the same thing. And they're usually worshiping, witches would worship the surroundings. They would be into the environment. They would worship mountains or they would worship the trees. And especially mountainous tree-lined areas are very popular in witchcraft circles. But it is a religion of sorts, no doubt about it. They don't believe in the devil. Most of them don't believe in an eternal God who is creator. But it is a form of worship that takes you away from God. Anything that takes you away from God that you put your... Trust or a lot of time into becomes an idol, and witchcraft is an idol to these people. Idolatry can be virtually anything that we begin to put our time and our focus into and takes us away from God. That's something you each have to define, folks. Each person has to decide. Where am I at with idolatry? Because idolatry and witchcraft run concurrently, hand in hand, side by side. You've got to see where you're at with these things in your life. It doesn't have to be a worship of something. But if your focus is taken off God and your life goes to another place besides thinking about what can I do to serve and please God and what would God want me to do, in other words, putting him first, then you really become an idolater. And witchcraft definitely leads to idolatry. I really wasn't planning to say that, but I think that's a truth that needs to be spoken.
1: Well, isn't it true, Eric, that over the centuries, pagans have always tried to mix their beliefs with Christianity?
2: Oh, yeah. This is nothing new. And, of course, then... The minute you begin to speak as we are today and draw a harder line about witchcraft and the occult, then people will accuse you of being involved in witch hunts and they think of Salem in the 1600s and those kind of things. And I don't want any person to be put to death for these practices. That has never been anything I've ever thought about, certainly nothing I would ever condone, But they're eventually going to stand before God and give an account of these things. And if they're deceived into believing somehow that because they do these things for good purposes, that it's okay with God, that's simply not true. And God, of course, is going to judge them very harshly in eternity for this.
1: The next forbidden practice in entertaining spirits unaware from Deuteronomy 18 is charmers. What exactly are charmers?
2: It's manipulating situations in our lives. For example, there's charmers of snakes in India, for example. is someone who's manipulating a situation that brings about an end, whatever that end may be. So in a very general sense, charming is virtually the same as trying to cast a spell in witchcraft. I know somebody out there will give maybe a more defined answer to that than I just gave, but I think that's certainly clear enough for us to understand.
1: Doesn't it have something also to do with charms? I can't help but think about those little pocket angels that are so popular in Christian stores. Don't you think those kind of charms have infected Christianity as well?
2: Well, especially if we put any kind of belief in them, like if we have them with us, there's no such thing as a lucky charm. In fact, the word luck comes from the word "malucca," primarily from Italian, and that is a form of witchcraft. And so when it's somebody who wishes me good luck, I know what they're saying. I understand that. And in the kindness of trying to be kind to others and wanting to be kind to others, I'll thank them. But if I have the opportunity, I'll I'll say there's no such thing as luck for a Christian. My steps are ordered by the Lord, Psalm 37:23. and others tell us these things. So luck has nothing to do with it. God has my life in his hands.
1: Isn't it sort of like all my Christian friends on social media who say, share this picture of Jesus and you'll be blessed with money and luck, or forward this email to ten people and you'll get a blessing?
2: (laughs) When I get those, I want to find out who the author was and try to have a theological discussion for just a couple minutes because that's all it would take. If they'll listen to what the Scripture says, you're going to see that God has these things in His hand. It has nothing to do with the picture we forwarded or a coin that we carry or have around our neck, whatever it might be.
1: The seventh forbidden practice is consulting with familiar spirits. What does it mean to consult with a familiar spirit? You touched on that last time a little bit.
2: That's to be in direct contact with a spirit, usually a spirit that claims they can do good things. It usually looks very benevolent. It doesn't appear as it really is, which is demonic. And, of course, the idea that Christians are, are destroyed for their lack of knowledge and the idea that The demonic can look very inviting to us and very pleasing to us, and Scripture speaks directly to this. But people will consult with a spirit, and if they've gotten some information in the past from a particular spirit, they really want to keep talking to that spirit and getting more of this type of demonic wisdom because they think this empowers them to be able to either use it as a way to make money You'll remember the story in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul finally got sick and tired of a servant girl following he and his entourage and finally turned around and cast the spirit out of her. She was saying the right thing. She was saying these men are of the Most High God, but Paul knew it wasn't by the right spirit. There was a spirit that was directing her to say these things. And even though she was correct in what she was saying, it was by the wrong spirit. When we use the term, well, that was a good thing, but it wasn't the right spirit. Well, that's exactly what that means, that situation in the book of Acts. So we need to be careful that we don't give our lives over in such a way that we begin to get knowledge. And let me tell you, Brother James, people that begin to do these things, it is a very, very powerful thing when you think you're getting specific, unique information from somewhere in the spirit realm that is helping to lead you, it's hard to break away from. In fact, I believe a lot of people that begin to do these things, they may not be demon-possessed at the beginning, but they will be by the time they get done with it, whenever that might be. If they're in deep enough, they're going to be demonically possessed.
1: When I think about the term familiar spirit, I can't help but think about 1 Samuel 28 and Saul. Didn't Saul consult with a familiar spirit when he went to see the witch at Endor?
2: He did exactly what he shouldn't do, and you know, the next day, he died. Right. And so there was judgment that was brought upon him. Of course, there's great debate about whether it was really Samuel that he spoke to. I believe it could have been demonic spirit masquerading as Samuel. There's lots of different answers can be given there. Uh, it might have been a one-time occurrence that God allowed judgment to be pronounced on him in such a way, maybe by an angelic spirit. But whatever the case was there in First Samuel 28 we see from Deuteronomy 18 very clear understanding of what God's will is for us, both the Old Testament believers and us as Christian believers today in modern
1: day times. Well, let's talk about something unusual, like we haven't been talking about something unusual. <laughs> I want to talk for just a minute, Eric, about UFOs. Whenever I have a guest on the program to talk about the subject of UFOs, we always get A lot of response, phone calls, emails, that kind of stuff. You devote a large section of entertaining spirits unaware to UFOs and aliens. Why do you think there's such a great fascination with that topic today?
2: The obvious reason for me is because we're in the end of the end days, and these are part of the desensitizing factors that Satan has. He has a deception for everybody. There's an old saying about that. I believe these things I've come to the forefront of understanding. I mean, we see very popular television shows each week on a particular channel that talks about UFOs. And I'm not saying that there aren't some things going on. That's for sure. I'm just pointing out that these things that are happening that we call UFOs, we've seen that the U.S. Navy films doing things that could not be done by humans, that humans would die from being involved in a craft that would fly that fast inside of our atmosphere. There's four things we point out in that chapter on UFOs, and this has been a chapter I've come back to, and I've spotlighted it two or three times through our ministry, and UFOs are a hoax that doesn't exist. That would be the first thing that people would say about this, that this is just a hoax and it doesn't exist. The second thing is, if UFOs exist, they're man-made, merely a part of a secret military operation. Well, that might be true. We don't know. Number three, UFOs exist and are piloted by beings from outer space. Well, that might be true as well. We don't know for sure. People say that at Area 51 in Nevada, there are the remains of alien beings that crashed at Roswell, and maybe some other crashes too over the last 60 to 80 years, UFOs are not from another galaxy. That's kind of where I come down. That's number four. UFOs are not from another galaxy. I believe they're from inner space. Right. And I believe they're demonic manifestations, and they're for one reason. That is that people would, by believing these things exist, it'd be easy to get your eyes off of God and begin to discount the things God's Word says because you see these things that must be from another galaxy, but they're not. They're from inner space. They're demonic. That's the answer I give in the end. That if you believe in UFOs, you need to reconsider that if a UFO should ever land, the very first question that should be asked of the beings inside is Who is Jesus Christ? And if they don't give the right answer, you know where they came from. You know that they're not of God and should not be considered of God. UFOs also, I believe, could create a lot of fear and fright. You know, that's one reason why our government didn't tell us that they had information about UFOs or that they were secretly trying to find out the information or track these things because they didn't want to scare people. I want to tell you something. This could really frighten people, including Christians. But the one thing we have to remember is where they came from. I believe they came from demonic sources. I believe this is specific to our time and through the end times, and they're just part of the things that would distract people from the truth of God at this particular pivotal point in our
1: history. The eighth forbidden practice is wizards, magicians, and sorcerers, and you've already touched on that quite extensively. So I want to jump on ahead to the forbidden practice number nine, necromancy. What exactly is necromancy?
2: Well, it's just not... Speaking to a deceased party or person in the spirit realm people want to have knowledge about their loved ones who have died or a friend who's died and if they believe that friend is speaking back to them maybe telling them things that no one would know except that departed person and themselves Satan knows a lot of inside information on each of us and he could fill the mouth of a demonic spirit to sound exactly like the person who has passed away, and we would then be, been deceived into believing we're actually speaking to our departed loved one. The attempt to contact the spirit realm, to speak to a person who's deceased, or the actual doing of it, either one, is necromancy. And so we're not to speak to any being in the spirit realm except God Almighty through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's just as simple as that.
1: Eric, I thank you so much. Give my best to Miss Melly and my best to you and your ministry.
2: Well, thank you a lot. I enjoyed talking to you, James.
0: Be informed and equipped for spiritual warfare with the books Entertaining Spirits Unaware and Disarming the Powers of Darkness. Find out how we can be victorious in a culture that is increasingly dark. Order the books Entertaining Spirits Unaware and disarming the powers of darkness when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online swrc.com. The Resource Center at swrc.com has over 900 items designed to bring clarity to the chaos and help you make sense of the world around you books, and DVDs by the nation's leading teachers and scholars, Douglas Petrovich, Eric Barger, Tom Horn, Bill Federer, J.R. Church, Greg Patton, and many more. Get these resources for you and for your church, swrc.com. Greg Patton is here now to share another story of hope, inspiration, and
3: encouragement. I'm reminiscing today on my childhood. I got to thinking about being introverted. Really, talking about this preacher. Believe it or not, extremely introverted in days gone by. So much of that changed when, as a freshman in high school, my dad was involved in a terrible wreck, and as a result of that, the patent name went right through the mud in small-town Roanoke, Indiana population 800. How do you overcome something like that? You know, the book of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 is one of my favorite verses. I use it throughout my preaching and teaching everywhere I go. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's really what he is. A man is what he thinks about all day long, man, woman. You know, you have 25 to 100,000 thoughts a day. You take them all captive, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't have to be true. It's what your mind thinks. So somewhere along the line, as a a wet-nosed freshman in high school, my life was just turned upside down, and I thought, I didn't do anything wrong. My father went on a Friday night drinking binge, got out in the car, drove, and destroyed a family. I remember the art teacher at Roanoke High School. I heard her in the hallway one day. She didn't know that I was listening, obviously. Mrs. Hudson said, that boy will never, ever live this down. Really? Again, I have to think, what, what did I do? I decided to adapt. Uh, I listened a great deal back when I was very young to a man named Earl Nightingale. And there was a real inspiration there. But let me say again, this mind thing can be both positive and negative. I wasn't a Christian, but I took on the attitude, I am Somebody. And I went from being an introvert to just the opposite. No one in the Patton family ever played in sports, and I was playing in just about everything. Went on to play college basketball. The only senior to graduate with four years varsity track. Became president of the class. Had an opportunity at Franke Park Summer Theater here in Fort Wayne. The possibility of going to New York City into acting. All because I changed my attitude of mind. But the problem was I really got used to it, and I became good at really everything I did at that point. Right up until the day a teenager invited me to church, and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and realized it's all about me, what I want and what I would determine in my mind. So it can actually be very negative in many ways. I didn't need God. I had me and things were working out quite well, or so I thought. In my book, The Invisible War on the Saints, Victor, or Victim, I talk about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. It was just always working for me somehow. I remember at one point when my wife got so discouraged after a few years of marriage that there was the talk of, we need to get a divorce, or I think she'd already contacted an attorney. I said, go ahead. There's a thousand fish in the sea. How many have heard that? How stupid was I then? I thank God that she stayed and will credit her of us being together 60 years. God is so very good. And before salvation, after something going on there, my friend. But for me, yes, indeed. Greg, who are you? Do you know when God... Save my soul. I still had that in me. Probably the biggest problem, even the biggest demonic problem in the church, pride. I just, again, let God know you really, you got a winner here because I've been in radio and television all my life, and you can really use me in Christian radio. I know you can. Do you know what God did? Seven years of drought. That's what he did. Some of us are just really hard-headed, God didn't need me. But it took me seven years to figure the whole thing out. And when I got to the point realizing I'm going nowhere with this thing and said, God, whatever you would have for my life, I'm willing to do it. And I did before. Sweep floors, did some roofing, did a number of things so I could figure out where are we going in this new life in Christ. And when we got to that point, everything turned around. God seemed to say, I think he's figured it out. And Wow, give him all the credit, all the glory for every single thing, every victory in any area, and it has been fantastic. You keep praising him. You keep giving him the credit, which he rightly deserves, and you're going to see your life change, my friend. So I guess what we're trying to say here without reservation is it's not about you, never been about you. And for a Christian. To be an example of Jesus Christ, it was always about others. So, as quickly as we can get there, I mean, so often it's, well, I've got this and I've got that. And when I get everything taken care of for me, I'll take care of you the best I can. That's not the program God has. My friend, I would just encourage you today to just think about some of the things I've said here on this program today and living in today's world. Probably one of the best things you can do. Well, it is, really. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, let's get down to business with God. God, where am I today? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And again, back to Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think about all day long is what you are. That's why God directs us So much to Philippians 4, 8, and those things we should be thinking about, those things that are lovely and pure and honest and of a good report, the exact opposite of the things Satan wants you to be thinking about, that Satan wants you to be involved in. Oh, you can be a mighty soldier of the cross when you get your thinking straight. And so, have those positive thoughts. I've never been against that. I think it's biblical, but make sure that it's aligned and in tune with the will of God for your life. Satan is scared of a soldier like that. A soldier, my friend. You're ready to move to the front lines and be ready to do serious business with the Lord Jesus Christ against the enemy, Satan, and all those forces. That's a great Way to serve Jesus Christ. Yeah, get out there and just do it, my friend. The local church, your church, needs you. Yes, they do. They need more warriors of the cross willing to get serious with Him. I'll say again it starts. You pray about that thing of pride because we have dealt with it so very much. And I, somewhere along the line, was an expert before salvation. And I've learned a great deal more about it since salvation. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's humble ourselves before him today and then see what he has for us. You might be totally off track today and you don't even realize it. You talk to him about it and he will guide and direct your steps in a very unusual way. And you do want to be in his steps, don't you? You've been listening to Living in Today's World. There are so many stories out there. And this has been one.
0: Find out how we can be victorious in a culture that is increasingly dark. Order the books Entertaining Spirits Unaware and Disarming the Powers of Darkness when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online SWRC.com. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com That's SWRC.com